has it ever happened to you that you've written something, you've gone on stage, you've delivered it, uh-huh. and it just didn't work? Oh, so many times. You keep going. It's like the first scratch on your car or like, you're like really concerned. And then it keeps happening and you're like, this is a part of the process. There, there will be comedy clubs if comedy is big enough to support those clubs first. There's not going to be a club to support comedy. There's going to be a club because comedy is big enough to have a club. Because I struggle a lot with uncertainty. It reduces a lot of anxiety in me when I think of things that are uncertain. And everything's so uncertain. Mm. But one thing is for certain that no one will take away from you what you know about what you know about. But if you are so driven to make a living out of what you love, then you have to become badass at what you love doing. You have to also be really good at what you love doing. So just because you love playing music doesn't mean people will pay you. Yeah. You need to become so good at it that people will throw their money at you. I, I wish I didn't have time. Yeah. I wish it was easier. It's sad, but it's not. I think that should be the title of this podcast and my sex tape. We're on. <laughs> We're on. Huh? We're on. Welcome, welcome to Bottle, the first episode, I guess, in um, in Nepal. Yeah. So <laughs> thanks for having me, man. Like, of course, not a problem. Considering how I don't know why, but I, thanks for having me. Now you've been asking some really good questions um, for me for the past few days, and um, I'll be honest. I woke up this morning uh-huh. um, and I asked myself the same question that you asked, mm-hmm. as in, why do a podcast? Yeah. What's the point of a podcast? That's what I asked you. I don't know. I think I just like sitting down and talking. It's just a, something you enjoy doing. Yeah. It ha- doesn't have to have a point to it. No, it doesn't. Exactly. Yeah. And even the, the person on the other side, as in the, the guest or um, uh, the interviewee, yeah, they don't have to be someone, at least for me, they don't have to be someone who reached a certain height. Yeah, yeah. It's good to have them. It's um, there, there is value in those people coming in, but I don't think that's a, that's a make or break for me. Yeah. An average Joe would bring just as much to the table as like someone who's who. Like, exactly. Uh, but you know, I had an uh, I had a podcast before bottled, um, Stories of the Average Joe. Oh yeah? That's exactly, yeah. That's, that, that was the name, Stories of the Average Joe. And um, mm. the whole premise of the podcast was I used to interview my friends. The reason being, I used to work a deadbeat job uh, back in Sydney when, when I was a student, just working um, in a small store, uh-huh. uh, like Encel kind of store. Uh-huh. And uh, you don't really have that creative uh, flux when you're working that kind of job right and I so I, but I really wanted to do something with my life just go out get there um, talk to people and that's when I started the podcast and I and surprisingly I did you know venture into the world of podcasting it's also sort of therapeutic for you in that sense I guess it is um, I think it's just the fact that two people sit down and yeah. talk yeah yeah but I've been uh, I've been I don't have to read about you right yeah we've been friends for what eight years now I Twenty sixteen, that's when I met you. So yeah, I yeah, you're good at math. Six years, six years. Shit, it's not <laughs> not that long. Not that long. No, I don't even know you. No. Is it six years though? It is four and three, seven, seven, six, seven years. Yeah, yeah, mm, six, seven years. So, but I don't need to read about you. But I read something about you on the internet, <laughs> and I, I, I want to start with that. I'll put on uh, put on a screenshot as well. So it's uh, it's this website comedytuktuk.com forward slash <laughs> 
Mayur Dash Goyal for people listening. Uh-huh. So you've been introduced in this manner. With a brain that's essentially a breeding ground for offensive humor, Mayur Goyal is a stand-up comic who is best known for his awkward stage persona and his devious jokes on things like family, sex, and religion. Uh-huh. <laughs> All the things you can't talk about at Toastmasters. Yeah, that was the point of it all, like, I think. <laughs> Apart from being a gaping wound in the Nepali stand-up scene, Mayur Goyal is a sucker for bean bags, rock and roll, and whiskey sours. Explain the bean bags first. That's that's back in the day. So uh, I wanted because of Toastmasters, so it always helps when you have three of something. Yeah. So I knew whiskey. So I really I was really into whiskey sours then. Rock music's always been my thing. And I was like, what's the third thing, man? So I was like, oh, I I was really enjoying sitting on beanbags. Then I don't know, man. It had <laughs> something had to be like it had to be a three of something. Yeah. A triad. You're you're known for the most random shit, man. The most random shit. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So, so that uh, introduction had me laughing out loud. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> and back part, and that, that's so you. That's so you. all these devious jokes and offensive humor, and 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 a very non-fearful way of putting yourself out there. Is there a reason why? Do you think it's a is is it like a path that you've chosen for yourself in terms of comedy? It's the lack of attention and then trying to get attention part of it, and. Uh, I don't know. I just find like uh, if a joke is offensive, it's I'm not laughing at it because it's offensive. It just makes me laugh. I have not no control over it, and I'm not insensitive to the matter the joke is about, because that's not me. I'm laughing at it because it's a bloody good joke. Because it's a joke. It doesn't really have an impact on the real situation. If it's a dark joke, it's about something that's dark and like um, it's hurtful to someone, but. It's a joke at the end of the day. It's just words in a certain order. I think I remember this thing that you said uh, on our drive uh, back from Thodi Hill. You said just because someone laughed at a certain joke yeah. doesn't mean they're a bad person. Yeah. Do you think this is uh, this is more applicable for someone who understands stand-up comedy? If someone laughs at a bad joke is not uh, necessarily a bad person, which is, is true, but they could be laughing at it because they're a bad person. So they're not necessarily a bad person. There's no way to, you know, um, there's no way to find out. Yeah. It's it's when what you do in your real life, if you're a stand-up comic and you're on stage and you're saying jokes, you're making people laugh, right? And it's the people who are laughing at these jokes. If people stop laughing, you stop doing those jokes. So it's not on me, man. And it's such a difficult task even making people laugh, right? I think I, think I, I can never do that because you've heard me give speeches and stuff. There's never a funny element to it. Yeah. Like maybe a line here and there in yeah. statements. Yeah. And I don't think I'm a comic. I'm, yeah. I'm just not a funny person. Uh-huh. But I, I just feel like your job to go on stage and then make people laugh, I think that's that's one of the most complicated yeah, things. It's very difficult. It's difficult. At some point, it becomes a job and it becomes work. And you didn't get into it because you thought it was like a task or a job. You got into it because you were having fun doing it. And at one point it becomes like, oh shit, it has to be structured. It has to, the, the joke has to be shorter. We need less number of words from the, the first word to the punchline. So it, it becomes uh, an actual job. It's not, it's not something you can like pull out of your ass and get on stage and pull something out of your ass, no. Mm. Where did you start? As in going up on stage and pulling things out of your ass? I had already... Always... <laughs> Going on stage bit. Pulling things out of my ass had been 
been a thing for a while but on stage um i had already i i had always been fascinated with like com- comedy stand up comics i was always the class clown mm. and uh, i got this one opportunity oh fuck it started with toastmasters oh, really yeah 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 it started with toastmasters i it's really funny how it all started it's super funny god so this was uh, i walk into a toastmasters club i we good i walk into a toastmasters club and i i immediately like the vibe and everything so i signed up for it i signed up for it and then so this was the day of my first speech so i did my first speech okay without having any clue about anything i did my first speech where i spoke about myself the first speech is the icebreaker yeah. i spoke about myself and then the speech said that i'm really passionate about this and that and i like uh, rock and roll music and i like stand up comedy it's yeah. one of my aspirations to be a stand up comic one day and have like an uh, a thriving scene of stand up comedy in Kathmandu yeah that those were the exact lines i said in that speech so at the end of the meeting one of the toastmasters who was from another toastmasters club she says that she has an announcement to make and she's like so there's this uh, there's this thing called suck and suck stood for stand up comedy kathmandu suck so suck is performing uh, in patan on so and so date there's going to be 100 people uh, the tickets are 500 bucks i'm like holy shit like i just spoke about comedy and now this is the first time i'm ever hearing about a comedy show in kathmandu so i went to it i i watched uh, four of the four women performers and i had a good time and later because we were in toastmasters i sort of i don't know how fast forward to me hanging out with one of the comedians simadi and uh, then she put together another another open mic in tamil somewhere in uh, the laila hotel and she gave me a call do you want to do a 5 minute set i'm like i've never done comedy before and i don't know so that day i sat down and i wrote a 5 minute long set and i performed and it worked man everybody laughed everybody legit laughed and i was the only one who was prepared because i took it seriously yeah because i i was really passionate about it and i really liked it um also i think it came from from the lack of uh, knowing how to play an instrument mm. that you can just speak man now like this this is your device this is your weapon that i want to go on stage i wish i was talented enough to like or had a voice for singing or like could play an instrument or could write the words and have mm. a career in music or something but comedy was the next best thing and i loved it do you still write your jokes i like write all my jokes really yeah but uh it's it's easier to write like if i'm sitting with you and discussing my jokes with you then it the process becomes easier less painful if i'm by myself it's because i've heard a lot of people like comedians go on um a writer's block <laughs> and having having a difficult time uh yeah. just coming up with the ways they can connect things and at least make the audience laugh do you have something similar called like a writer's block for yourself usually it's the premise uh-huh. the premise is like the topic that you're going to talk about yeah so you have something and then you think about it and often times what happens is self doubt kicks in you find a subject that you think is funny yeah but processing it in your head over and over again you stop finding it funny exactly as and uh, you think it's not going to work and you want to like just throw that one away so it's like a basic idea of writing a speech right like yeah. you're you're yeah. practicing your own yeah. speech because you're excited about that one topic you're excited you really want to write about it and you're like there's something there there's something there and you realize oh my and then your brain processes it it processes it in such way that they tell you 
it's not working. Yeah. This is not going to be funny to them. Yeah. But uh, I have experienced that if you just go ahead with it, it, it is funny. Mm. Yeah. So that has worked for you, right? Yeah, and you've thought that uh, the joke's not going to be funny, but yeah. you've gone on stage yeah. and delivered the same. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. See, that's the that's the kind of courage I could, I could possibly never have. Like write something and think that people are going to find it funny. Because I've been on stage multiple times, cracked a joke, and it's been funny just for me. Like nobody's laughed. But there's open mics for that. What does that mean? So open mics are little stand-up events. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you go on and you try your shit first before you do a show. So there's an open mic, there's a show. Oh. So if you're doing a show, there's an organizer who's paying you to make people laugh. And open mic is an event that you you announce that, okay, on Wednesday, 7.30 to 8, mm-hmm. and so-and-so restaurant, there's an open mic. So you just go on stage and try your shit. There's people out there eating, they're there for different reasons, and if yep. they laugh, you confirm that this will work. If they don't laugh, you you yes. just scrap it. So the audience knows that it's an open mic. The audience knows. So you're not just pushed into it. No. Oh, so that's what they keep mentioning. Open Some mics people come for those open mics. Yeah. Some people are in the audience for those open mics. But yeah. usually a venue has people who are already there because we don't really have a comedy club, exactly a comedy club in Kathmandu. Yeah. They just like restaurants have stages that they give to uh, cover bands and in stand-up comics and boy it's sometimes <laughs> boy it's a, yeah you're not a big fan I'm not a big yeah <laughs> I, I would love to go to a, a poetry show yeah yeah but has it ever happened to you that you've written something you've gone on stage you've delivered it uh-huh. and it just didn't work oh so many times so many how, how do you how do you recover you keep going that's how the, the first time it'll happen it'll hurt you really bad it's like the first scratch on your car or like you're like really concerned. And then it keeps happening and you're like, this is a part of the process. Like they won't laugh, you move on to the next one. And uh, that's how you improve, right? If you get, if you hold on to that one joke that, it's like, it's like when you're p- pissing in a toilet bowl and sometimes <laughs> you get it on the seat. Yeah. You don't like start pissing on the floor, right? Yeah. You go back into the bowl. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you've got to learn to compartmentalize as well then, right? Like what? deliver something. Like deliver something, mm-hmm. and if it fails, let that not mix with what you're about to do next. Yeah, yeah. Don't let it get to you. Mm. Just let it be. Stop that joke. Sometimes what happens is uh, you also don't gauge your audience well. Yeah. Like, if you're going to do jokes in an audience that will not get your jokes from the get go, you know that they're not going to relate to it. They're not going to like it. So it's not always the joke's fault. You need to figure out. What was it that did work for that? You know how in Nepal, we're still learning about the comedy scene. We're, we're going online slowly and trying to make sure that um, we, we slowly understand the concept of yeah. comedy. Is it hard for you as comics to know where your audience is? It is very hard. It is very hard because uh, there's... there's there's an there's an audience for jokes that are not smart. There's an audience for jokes that are really smart. There's an ju- audience for jokes that are offensive. Then there's a big audience for jokes uh, that are not offensive. And you need to find your niche. It's important that you find your niche. Otherwise, you're dead. Because uh, you can't be like doing a corporate gig and be like really sleazy, you know? Yeah. So you need to gauge your audience. I think Toastmasters taught us that well, right? Gauge your audience. Yeah. So every stage has its restrictions, its limitations, its freedoms, and 
Mm. You need to figure that out. Yeah. So Can't be like a dick about it. Mm. Where's your audience in Kathmandu? And who is it? I think I, I found my audience in uh, smart adults like who, who are open-minded and they know that these are jokes and they, they don't mean anything more than that. Mm. Some of them are just insensitive and they laugh at anything. And um, some of them are just like young people I did one I did a set once and the whole audience was uh women from from an NGO that was trying to like uh fight against social taboos and like really like make people more sensitive and like get away from insensitive shit. At that that day I cut out all the jokes that I had that were offensive and I did a set and I had no complaints from anyone. In fact one of them came back to ask me if they if if I would buy them a beer. I said, no. <laughs> this doesn't work like that, Matt. You buy yeah. me a beer. <laughs> so, wait, so they came up to you and said, if you could buy them a beer. Yeah, we are having a conversation and then... Oh, okay. Yeah. But do you think um, the the general audience in uh-huh. Nepal, at least, is open-minded for your liking? I struggle with it. Like, I have a nice joke written and then I look at the audience I'm like, shit, this is going to go to waste because no one's going to like it because they're just not my type of audience and this is sad because it sounds like I'm putting it on the audience and like not working on my material and it might sound like why don't you go write some jokes that everybody will laugh at you know mm. but I don't know I don't want to write jokes to pander yeah. I don't want to pander to my audience what does that mean pander? pandering to your audience means you are doing things that they would buy you're, you're packaging your product in such a way that all the kids will eat it up mm. No, man. Uh, yeah, I, I agree to what you're saying. Yeah. And I kind of, I also support the fact that you've got to find your audience because if you look at some of the best comics, at least that I know, Andrew Schulz that we talked about earlier yeah. as well, and uh, Jim Jeffries, yeah. all of these guys have their own style of doing yeah. things. Yeah. And even lesser known yeah. comedians like Joey Diaz yeah. and Joe Rogan yeah. and all these people who come on Joe Rogan's, yeah. I think they all have their unique identity yeah. and they stick to it. Um, there's this uh, episode that Joe does um, once in a while. It's called Protect Our Parks. Yeah. It's like four comedians uh-huh. just sitting down and talking about uh-huh. things. Uh-huh. And each one of these guys, they have um, an identity. Um, Russell Peters, that I really admired back in the days, I don't like him anymore. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it, I, I just find his jokes to be a bit generic. Yeah. And at least right now in today's world, anything that you do, uh, you've got to have your identity, I think. And... You sticking to your comedy style, uh-huh. I, I agree to that. I support it. The thing is, uh, Russell Peters is like a gateway comic, you know? Like, if you start out... I remember I started... I watched... Russell Peters was one of the first stand-up acts that you had watched. I yeah, think, and me. correct, yes. Uh, that was because back in the day, that was like going around, and as kids, we found that really funny. So it, it's not that his jokes have become generic. We've outgrown that. We've out outgrown that and we can predict like what the punchline is going to be because as 16-year-olds, we found it funny, right? And as 16-year-olds, we were not imagining, we, we couldn't expect what he was going to say next, which is which is the, which is the comedy. Comedy happens when uh, the, the element of, because of the element of surprise, because you don't know what this person is going to say and when they say something that you did not expect, you end up laughing. Mm. So Russell Peters was good at that to a certain uh, group of people. Like now, if you if you talk to like probably a cousin or something who's in college, 
maybe they still do like Russell Peters mm-hmm. or maybe not because they're exposed to so many other things now and mm-hmm. they have that but Russell Peters did get get you in there you know he yeah. got one foot in the door for you yeah I remember watching his one and a half hour special yeah, yeah. right somewhere in uh, in a massive stadium yeah. I, I remember him talking about talking about things for one and a half yeah. hours and I was like shit I really watched the entire thing because he was really funny back then yeah but even now when I look at the comments uh, maybe it's it, the, the algorithm pushes his videos to people similar to my age group uh, like it's it's all the same like there's the the, the consensus is um, is isn't in his favor right now but uh, but do you think he still has an audience as a gay comedian I'm sure he has an audience um, I think it's also to do with like you need to adapt and reinvent as you go because you're not going to have one thing that's going to last forever so a lot of people fail to do that like adapt and reinvent and figure out what your audience wants mm-hmm. I haven't watched Russell Peters uh, stand up like stand up uh, specials or anything of late so I really can't tell you like what his stuff is like right now mm-hmm. but if, you're, if, if the consensus says that so maybe he wasn't able to adapt and reinvent uh, to to the audience's liking so that's where pandering comes in yeah. like now we want edgy now we want jokes on politics now we want jokes on so and so so maybe he didn't want to go to he yeah. still wanted to stick to his I'll make the joke about the Arab guy I'll make the joke about the, the Indian, Indian guy, guy and like I'll the Indian people. all of that maybe that doesn't sell anymore mm. and he's sticking to his guns I guess and and the thing with uh, the, the niche and everything I heard Ricky Gervais was talking about this I saw it in a podcast as well it was called uh, Talking Funny I think so he says you just do, sort of do your thing and people flock to it who, who, people who relate to it they just flock to you and then they come and watch you mm. so keep doing your thing you're not in competition with so it's an art right you can't really be competing mm. you know there's a um, there's this thing a lot of um, people in art and creative fields talk about um, the, the concept of feast versus famine uh-huh. sometimes even in the the podcasting industry um, you know there's a lot of podcasts right now right and some podcasters when they start something they have this famine mentality as in they think their mindset is there's not enough for everybody so I've got to keep mine to myself and um, have this competitive mindset while others treat us and treat it as a feast as in there's enough for everybody so let's do this you know everybody join in let's do this and see where it goes is there something similar in the the comedy field so uh, so you you mean like if there's someone who has a bunch of jokes who's written a bunch of jokes that they think are funny whether or not they should put it out because they think that there's no longer a market for this anymore not entirely so what i meant is so just to rephrase that question you know, there's a lot of comedians out there uh-huh. or right now, right? So stand-up comedy, there's a lot of tr- people yeah. trying to do the same yeah. thing. And some people think, okay, you know, the market is not big enough, yeah. right? So I've got to be competitive. I've got to yeah. pull someone down yeah. and, you know, not put in a good word yeah. for somebody else. Mm-hmm. While others think that, you know, there's enough for everybody. So, you know, let's all go together and have a positive mindset. So there's, that's there's definitely that mindset. 100% like I'm one of the famine people. I'm not the, the feast guy. I love you. These guys are winning. Because I think uh, there are so many other comics who are so good. They're doing so great. Some people could leave their jobs and do comedy. 
because then because comedy made enough money for them to like just throw their job away and um, so they they do great they yeah. do great they have more relatable stuff they have a bigger audience they are catering to the masses and uh, that's where i start sort of start thinking it was easier when these comics were not around when uh, when the the when people had less options i could come to my shows yeah. and uh, now it's there's abundance but i look at it as as though it's not good for me got it yeah not good for me cuz i i'm i'm the guy on the lineup with the least funny jokes now mm. because they to me they're funny yeah i'm I not trying yeah. to put myself down by saying the least funny jokes to me they're absolutely funny and it's just that uh, what the audience wants is missing you're lethally funny man let, let me tell you that like you're I, i've heard your speeches i've heard you do impromptu thank you bits that uh, what was the thing um Toastmaster Ashri say you could bring a dead man alive just by making him laugh or something like that. You you're lethally funny. Uh, I I just feel like that. And uh, two of your viral <laughs> bits are on YouTube like if you search for me you're going oh, like this cringe 101 man. Really? Now if I look at it I I I have never been able to get through the entire thing and I haven't watched it. I think it's the same for a lot of people who yeah, I can't watch myself. Yeah, my super fall. I never watch this podcast. No? No. <laughs> uh but no going back to what you said you know you uh, earlier you said the people who think um that comedy is a feast uh-huh. uh, or stand up comedy is a yeah. feast they're winning uh you you mean they're be- doing better because they're they're working together um i don't know if they're working together everybody works together in certain ways like for example i'll tell you i'll just give you like a picture yeah. of how things work for me yeah so i have a friend uh he's a big stand up comic he's one of my best friends his name is ayush ayush is if you google him he's got he's like all over the place yeah uh, anyway so i i would present my thoughts and ideas to ayush and then uh, ask his opinion if there's something there and i tell him my lines and then he would make it he would take it a step further he would make it funnier and then i would come up with something that i make it even funnier so that's the process for me so i'm sure there are other guys working like that because yeah. if you work together like you said then the feast mentality really works cuz then you think if he didn't help me if he wouldn't help me because uh he would think that i need to pull other people down so that my shit shines through mm-hmm. but it's not like that yeah it's not like that there's enough for everybody exactly like everybody has a market mm. i i think it's um if you're in that industry long enough you realize it how you you eventually realize mm-hmm. that there's enough for everybody yeah because you know uh, at least for for something creative the more you do yeah the bigger the picture gets i think with uh, just to bring back podcasting again in the picture so 5 years ago there was there weren't a lot of podcasters in nepal right but now i've seen a lot of people coming up with uh, their own podcasts and when when that happened at first I was a bit skeptical as well. I'm like what the hell's happening? Like everybody's yeah. coming up with a podcast. But then if you think about it, you know, the bigger the industry is, the more lucrative it gets. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've I know any one industry that went down mm-hmm. because it there were a lot of people doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? At least creative industries mm-hmm. like TV shows. Yeah. There's TV shows coming in every single day, mm-hmm. right? There's movies coming in every single day. Yeah. And then they don't uh, it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. Yeah. There's always 
there's always going to if there if something is working there's always going to be more and more and more people trying to do the same thing it doesn't really make the market bad for everybody mm. it's just that there's going to be a divide where you know that these are the top 10 guys mm. and then you then you sort of adapt and uh, reinvent yourself to get there yeah if the, the market doesn't become bad it's just that the market then has a lot of options and they decide what they want hey yeah so it's it's not really like a matter of too many right now podcast i don't know if um for me like it's there's so many it's too mainstream it's just like right in your face like i don't know if the audience now is uh excited about it i'm not too excited about podcasts as such because there's so many and there's there's too many of them out there and you don't know which one's going to be um what 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 each one of them has to offer but if you see like a joe rogan thing it's a no brainer you can click on it right but now there are so many and then you don't know if you want to like find a nice podcast i don't know if that mm-hmm. any of that mm-hmm. makes any sense no it it does make sense yeah like you don't know which ones made for you kind of thing yeah tailored for you yeah yeah, yeah. the most popular ones you just go for them and they're fun yeah some some are some are some uh, podcasts are about entrepreneurship mm-hmm. that i really enjoy like the chantanu thing yeah yeah the, i watched this thing called baba shop with chantanu mm-hmm. it's really good Oh yeah, you you were telling yeah. me about this this entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. Indian entrepreneurs talking about their. Mm. It's more relatable than listening to a Western. Yeah, I I think that's the thing, right? Like you have these all, all these podcasts, and then it's entirely up to you for you to find that one you're gonna enjoy. I don't think a lot of people listen to multiple podcasts. Like let's say for example, I listen to a lot of Joe Rogan, yeah. and um, I, I just love. the the vibe mm. of the show you know just guys sitting and talking um and just the the non fearful kind of conversations that he has which uh oh which isn't really my style but i love the fact that he does it and you you find that you listen to it and you go on a journey just like you found Shantanu and yeah. uh what's the name of his podcast again barbershop the barbershop yeah, yeah. just like you found that mm-hmm. like i know a friend who's uh, who listens to a very specific kind of podcast which is about um uh football right so it's yeah. called blokes in a bar it's an australian podcast yeah. and uh these guys come in every week yeah. and they talk about the games that have happened yeah. the the AFL games um that have happened in australia yeah. and i think it, it's it's all about that yeah and um just the fact that you can you as a podcaster or you as a comedian you can stick to what you're doing and try and make it big huh. i think there is a there's a massive audience for this yeah and i do you also agree that uh usually it's also about uh, who's on the podcast like if if there's uh, someone that i look up to and they're doing a podcast i don't care what podcast they're on i'll click on it right it's a no brainer that so if dave grohl is on a podcast i'll mm-hmm. let me watch it i'll just watch the whole thing yeah so it's also about who the person on the podcast yeah. is it's just like it just to hear them speak just remember remember we used to like um, watch uh, david letterman and all that yeah to just uh, have those 5 minutes of your your favorite celebrity or the person that you admire speak yeah because you see them in either movies or like playing music or doing comedy but people do watch those interviews right because they want to hear about their personal lives and their opinions on certain things podcast is just like an elo- elongated form of like a talk show like yeah. a interview yeah so it is also like who's the guest on it i'll give it a view Yeah. But do you think the podcasts compared to talk shows they're more raw? They are. 
They are. It's less edited. They are. And there's the censorship thing. You know, there is no censorship because it's going on YouTube. I don't know what's the thing with YouTube. Do they allow you to have like, like profanity? Yeah, yeah they do. Can yeah. I, I, you can't talk about certain sensitive things, uh, of course, but you can say the F word, yeah, you can have all, all this and that. Is it fuck you mean? Yeah, you, yeah, you can say <laughs> fuck, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure why I said the F word because <laughs> I have said fuck in the podcast before. But but you can say that. You can even drink. Um, you can smoke weed, but only in places that it's legal. Yeah, yeah. That and um, yeah, there's a bunch of things. But even YouTube apparently um, has gone woke. As in, they have all these guidelines and they now look into your podcast and look into your content to see what you've said, what you've done. I know this um, YouTuber, Steve, will do it. He gambled online, right? So he was huge. He was he was incredibly popular, like millions of followers. But then he got canceled. His uh, channel got deleted uh, and all of that happened, right? For what reason? Because he gambled online. Okay. Yeah, he promoted a website, okay. stake.com or something like that. He not, was not a problem. about misleading information. Yeah. Um, not not just that he was kind of promoting something YouTube doesn't oh, okay. uh, support, which is gambling. But then he got deleted. Now YouTube has sent on a directive that Steve, this guy who got cancelled, he can appear on other videos, um, but he can't be the main character or he can't be a proficient. Oh, sorry, what was the word? Um, Expert opinion giver. And uh, now you no. can't. Uh, no, he can't be one of the main characters. Mm -hmm. Like he. Can be the a sidekick. Yeah, he can be a, not even a sidekick. That's still a main character, but he, he can be in the video, but he can't be the the focal point of it. <laughs> that was why would he want to be in a video? <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, it's it's gone like that. But um, I wanted to ask you this: Do you think you can make a career um, and self-sustain yourself uh, with comedy in Nepal? No. That's my honest answer. It's have people doing? Uh, are people doing it right now? I I think that really depends on your definition of what a decent living is, and where you're starting from. So if you if you if you if you're not uh, if you're doing better than yesterday, then go for it. That that becomes your career. A lot of people have. It's I'm not gonna say it's not possible. Some people have. But then they've gone into different streams, like from comedy, they've gone into YouTube. And from YouTube, they've gone in on TV. So it's like a ladder that you climb and comedy will get you somewhere where you are self-sustaining, you're making a decent living. And that's a rare event, like not all of them will do it. But it's just stand-up comedy itself, like doing shows back-to-back, uh, -back, it's difficult because uh, Nepal is really small. And uh, so let's say you do a show in Jamsik Hill and uh, 200 people show up. So the next time you're going to do a show again, there's going to be an overlap in the audience, you know, because there's a certain percentage of people who want to come and watch live stand-up comedy because stand-up comedy, I don't know, have you been to a stand-up show in Nepal before? Never. You haven't, no. but you must have seen stand-up videos, right? Yeah. So people find it more, uh, they find it comfortable to just view it on their screens than like go to a show and like watch them perform live and when they do do it they know that if they go again for the same comics show like in a week they'll see the same material mm -hmm. and uh, and because they, in India what, what happens is if the touring comedians doing a show let's say in Delhi 
so they they have they can cover like 30 to 40 different venues in like a span of 10 days and they'll all have different people it's mm. going to be different audience every time and they can repeat the same shit it's not like music cuz a uh, music you can play the same song over and over and over again and it has the same effect comedy once you know the punchline the joke's not going to have the same effect on you so those are like the caveats of comedy and uh it it becomes very difficult with a market like nepal I wouldn't say anything I wouldn't say it's impossible because if it's humanly possible anyone can do it but it's difficult for sure it's difficult for sure you reckon if there's comedy clubs let's say in Pokhara uh-huh. right uh, or there's a comedy club here in Biradnagar and um all these major cities that you have around uh-huh. is that going to make it easier there there will be comedy clubs if comedy is big enough to support those clubs first there's not going to be a club to support comedy there's going to be a club because comedy is big enough to have a club so those economics have to work out for the club first so that this club can sustain and in turn it will help like comedy grow but comedy itself has to reach a certain level for it to afford having clubs around the city you know or that's a great point that's that, that's such a great point but do you think there are people right now um in Nepal working to kind of make that happen maybe investing not thinking about how we're going to sustain but maybe just let's jump in mm-hmm. create infrastructure or space for comedians to come in and hopefully we can make this a career if if comedy spreads across Nepal just like it has in India so this this is a problem this is a big problem where someone who's writing jokes has to now also alongside writing jokes do the other shit you know like make sure that they develop the scene and it's a big problem because everybody who's doing comedy everybody that i know who's doing comedy is doing it as a side gig it's not because they don't want it to be their main gig because it's not sustainable it for it to become become a main gig and uh, as a comedian you write jokes and you perform jokes but nobody is uh, nobody is like well versed with how do we start a club should we put our hard work money in it will it work will it not work and for that to happen a lot of lot of things have to fall in place together a lot of people have to come together they need their interests have to be aligned and then there's also this uncertainty and it's uh, right now people are just going with whatever is available and i think whatever is available is working out great for everybody some people are not happy with it but there's not much they can do about it because doing something about it means that they need to lose out on a lot more first like they probably need to drop out of college or yeah. they need to leave their job and they need to make sure that i they have one year of time where they're working on something and then there's no certainty that it might work it might not work mm. you know uh, andrew schulz the the one of the comedian we talked about uh, covid-19 pandemic i think that's when he um rose into uh, popularity because while all the other comedians were home thinking about how to get on stage he was there at home making videos uh, i think roast videos about current happenings in the world and just making comedy out of it yeah. and that's when we all heard about andrew shula right and uh, i think uh, i agree to what you said earlier that's such a great point that you know you could have a living depends on how you live yeah. as well what your um expenses are yeah. that sort of thing but 
if you can channel comedy into something that can earn income for you, yeah. I think that's that's also another pathway. Yeah, it's great. If you can make a living doing what you love, it's great, right? Um, I, 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 I remember hearing this one thing from somewhere. It said, the reward has to be the experience. So if you're doing something that you love and money then is a byproduct of that, then it's great, man. The reward for you is the experience of doing it. So if you love your job, then the reward has to be the experience. Like whatever job you're doing, the reward has to be the experience for it mm. to become become something that you love. You know, mm. the experience itself has to be so good, and then 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 the money is just a byproduct. So you're still doing comedy right now, right? But you're not recording yourself. I don't record myself. I do small gigs now and then. I haven't been doing as many as I used to. I don't record myself. I don't put it on the internet mm. because it's scary. Because this, they don't go away, right? The videos are always there. Exactly. They yeah. become cringy after five years. And uh, also there's this problem with writing a set. You put your hard work into writing a set. And when you do finish writing a set, when you put it on YouTube, it's gone. Like you've retired it. You put it on YouTube once you've milked it enough. Once you've done enough shows and you've gotten paid enough. Ah, uh, that way. Okay. Then you retire it. Because now you can no longer do it uh, do it live because people have heard it. There's like 50 to 60% of your audience has already heard it. They're not going to be, they're going to feel cheated being at your show because if they're coming in for the second time, then they're hearing the same shit. So that's when you retire a set and you put it on YouTube. So when you've done enough offline of the same, yeah. Same set. bit, you put it on YouTube and you retire it. That's where that's what com comedians in India do it. When you see like a comedian put a YouTube video, they've done it multiple times in India first, and now it's on YouTube because mm. now they're working on a new album. I just say album because it's easier for you to relate to it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So when they're working on a new album, they retire their old album, they put it on, on the internet for it all, like enjoy it for free. It's called a special, right? It's a special. Okay. It's a special. It's a special. I said album because. Uh, it's easy, yeah. Just to like, I think you're dumb. So do you think we're dumb? Yeah, yeah. You think the audience is dumb? <laughs> you, you think the audience is dumb? One person in particular. You. I mean, there's only one listener, so yeah. <laughs> and uh, also, yeah. So yeah, and also that in, in turn gives you popularity. Like you've retired it, now it's on the internet. Mm. You'll get views. You become more popular, and there will be more people at your next show. So that's how you grow. Yeah. That's because your audience. You basically own it as well, right? Like that's your bit now. Yeah, that's something that you've said. Mayor Goyal said it. Yeah, yeah. I remember a, a lot of comedians and their special bits, like something that I've that has made me laugh, and it's always going to be theirs. Like nobody else can take it. Yeah. But I, I understand what you're saying when you say that you've got to do it offline first. Yeah. Then take it online, just yeah. so you put a name to it. Some people would uh, do a bit, a few times, and then they put it on the internet. Because it also helps them grow because a lot of people will watch that and the next time they come to see him, he'll have new jokes. Mm. But it's not for everybody because it's very difficult to like write a set. Mm. And for some people, it's not. Yeah. Do a lot of foreign comedians come into Nepal or Kathmandu? Before COVID, yeah. After COVID, I haven't seen a lot coming in. Before COVID, we had a blast. Like they, there was an international comedy fest. There were so many, there were so many comics that come in. I made friends with so many of them. And we did improv work workshops with them. It was great. What happened now? I don't know. The whole Nepal scene is weird, I think, for them too. Like, I don't know what happened. Because I COVID for sure happened and the whole chain, the flow 
it broke and uh, now i don't think anyone's putting together those big shows you know for anyone to come in like for a performer to come in they don't want to do they don't want to do the extra work they want an organizer to tell them that so and so did you get yeah. paid so much just show up and like do your shit mm. that's what you want to do yeah so they don't want to get into the management side of it yeah but are there people who organize this there are do, people do you think the base the problem as well for the international comedians the remuneration yeah i'm sure like the pay must be a problem for them as well mm. but for international comedians there is a bigger audience so they somehow do get compensated and they somehow they only show up once they are satisfied with what they're getting paid right mm. for them it's not about exposure if you're an international comic and you have a certain audience for them it doesn't really matter if they're coming into Kathmandu and doing a show for exposure they don't want to do that they want to get paid a certain amount they want their expenses to be covered but i'm sure like no big acts have come in only like acts that are a little smaller but they're international got there it. it's it's a comedian from thailand who's come in that's it like it's not like a it's not like someone with a netflix special got it yeah but if they do come in do you think there's going to be a yeah, big audience yeah yeah anyone anyone with like a netflix special if they're coming in they're going to fill up a club i think how, how much is usually the charge for these shows 500000 bucks the most i think i've paid is 1500 wow for and that uh, i think for like a festival like with like a bunch of comics yeah hey. for like a bunch of, oh sorry by the way indian comics when they come in they do charge like 3000 the tickets are 3000 the last one i went to because i got a free pass uh uh-huh. the tickets were 3000 So oh. Anubhav Basi from India. Okay, never heard of him. Yeah, don't. So when you pay three thousand to enter um, a show, right? Mm-hmm. Who gets what cut of the three thousand? When I when I get asked to perform, uh, so uh, earlier in the days, if I was asked to perform and they tell me that we can't, we don't have the budget, I'm like, doesn't matter, man. I'll just do it because yeah. I want to do it. and then slowly it did become about getting compensated and uh, so they tell you a random number like they just like try to lowball you and tell you okay i'll pay you 10000 okay fine whatever i'll do 10 minutes and uh, then it became more technical so then it became if they tell you there's a gig are you interested so then you ask what's the venue how many people are coming in am i the only act and what are the people coming in paying to get it so then you do your backwards calculations and say well i i need at least this much because i know that it's a 500 seat venue or an 800 seat venue and you're charging 2500 and you're bringing a big act from india so i'm sure he's charging this much you know being marwadi i did all my calculations and like then you then you give them a number okay, i'll do it yeah i'll do it for free <laughs> now that's that's actually pretty smart <laughs> i'll do it for free Uh, but did you do it for free uh, in the beginning yeah i did a zakir khan i did a zakir khan thing zakir khan's a big comic in india not a huge fan but he's big i've never heard of zakir khan again like yeah what's he what's he famous for he's famous for his comedy he does jokes and uh, his jokes are highly relatable to like like the masses highly relatable jokes to the masses mm. and uh, he's great i mean he's great at what he does I am not a big fan of his work but I do I do appreciate what he's done mm. with his career. Yeah. And uh, he's big man, he's really big. 
I'm sure there's a lot of Indian comics that we don't know of. Yeah. And that could be a big, big market, right? Like billions of people and millions of maybe followers and people who are into uh, that sort of thing. The the funny thing that you mentioned Marwari, uh, as soon as you say the term Marwari, Marwari, um, I think of um, business and businesses. And you're probably the youngest entrepreneur, like a successful entrepreneur that I know. Well, well, you don't consider yourself successful? No. I, I mean, uh, you define success differently, right? Everybody has the yeah, yeah, yeah. to it. And I'm still trying to get where I want to be. Mm. So I don't know if I can put that whole uh, success badge on it just yet. At least for me, you're successful because the way I see it, um, and um, I've spoken about this quite a few times before, I see success as uh, two things. One is you're able to self-sustain yourself financially. Like you can pay for things and you can save up, you can buy a new car, a house, you know, save up for illnesses. And second, uh, you're you're directly or indirectly taking care of people around you, which, which could be your wife, your um, your children, your family, your parents. And I think you're doing both. And, uh, you know, it's, it's another story that you, whether or not you're happy with what you're doing and um, that sort of thing and where you think you can go. But at least for me, Mayur Goyal yeah. um, is someone I see as, you know, who knows what he's doing at least. Yeah, that's one way to look at it for sure. Like, uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm doing all of these things, but I don't know how well I'm doing them how, or how terribly bad I'm doing them. And... Uh, Success to me becomes about uh, being able to do the things that I love, and uh, not not being able to not being stuck doing the things that I have to do, and uh, everything that I have to do to be able to do it so comfortably that it it just becomes second nature to me. I don't have to think about it. So I would like to reach a point in time where I feel like that. But then that that being said, when you do get to that point, with my life experience, and it's so cliched. When you do think about a point that you think that if you get to and you will become, I don't want to say happy, but you will uh, feel content, then you have another point ahead of that. Mm. Then you just make up another problem and then you think maybe I should get to that peak now. Yeah. It's okay. I mean, uh, I, I, I think my aspirations like really get in the way and like I don't have, uh, I have an imposter syndrome I have like a massive imposter syndrome problem where I just don't think of myself very high. I think a lot of people have that imposter syndrome at least. But but I, yeah, uh, I guess that comes uh, with a, how do I phrase it? I think when you're, in, um, when you're young and when you're into business and you're handling something uh-huh. huge um, in terms of transactions, in terms of um, the people you're supporting, your employees, your um, your stakeholders, uh, I think that comes at a cost, as in you don't exactly know if you're doing the right thing, mm-hmm. because you're so young and you're still gaining all of this experience. Mm-hmm. It, it should come with age, I guess. Yeah, it does. Like, I really the the one thing that I really cherish uh, that sometimes I like, I lose sight of, but other times when I'm reminded of it, I do cherish all the knowledge that I've gained doing what I've done. Uh, I started working at 19, and it's wow. been like good. 10 years run now, like it's been a decade since I started working and the one thing that I really look back at and feel proud is the knowledge. It's it's nothing but the knowledge that I've gotten out of it because everything is uh, everything is uh, volatile, like everything can go away, right? 
everything can go away and could take seconds for everything to come crumbling down but no one's going to be able to take all the knowledge you gained over these years and you can build yourself back up because you know the ins and outs so that's one thing that no one can take away from me and that's one thing that's certain because i struggle a lot with uncertainty it induces a lot of anxiety in me when i think of things that are uncertain and everything's so uncertain mm. but one thing is for certain that no one will take away from you what you know about what you know about i'm going to put that as a clip as a as a, as a bot- bottle podcast shot clip oh, <laughs> that's very are you a motivational speaker oh, i love it i love it you, are you a motivational speaker how much do you charge <laughs> Do we do we do we talk about motivational speakers tonight? Because I think we should. <laughs> I think we should. I think we should really get into like motivational speaking and how big of a scam the whole motivational speaking industry is. I, I, know, I know your take on. Don't don't uh, don't ever pay for motivational speakers. Don't don't pay them. They're fine if you're getting motivational speaking for free. Don't pay. That's my stand on it. Don't give them your money. Why not? I I don't think it's a one size fits all. You know. how motivational speakers make it out to be like uh, they tell you these quotes and these things everybody knows man like if you want to pay go see a therapist maybe they'll they'll tell you what is important for you what's best for you and how they can tailor a plan according to your needs and but, but motivation itself is such a finite resource like you can't do anything on based on motivation motivation will go away 5 days into it like if you're motivated to do something you can't sustain with motivation you'd probably sustain with discipline you'd probably sustain because your back back is against the wall and you have to do it but motivational speakers make it out to be such a big thing and uh, that they hold huge huge they, they sell out huge halls i know and then just they'll just tell you like wake up early man wake up early you have to wake up early what was that thing why is the tiger the king of the jungle is the tiger's winning attitude <laughs> it's not the tiger's winning attitude but have you ever been to a motivational seminar have you heard someone on stage who's been trying to motivate you i've been to seminars where people people have tried motivational speaking because it's like a to to say kind of and there are going to be speakers that are motivational speakers and uh, not particularly that i've been like oh shit this guy is in town and i could really use some motivation let me let me throw my 500 bucks at him and go see yeah. speak for 2 hours and then feel really great yeah. and then just go back to my shitty old life next day mm-hmm. no and on on the internet man they just piss me off i can't I heard <laughs> clips I've looked at videos <laughs> yeah. I can't but is there anyone that you admire there any motivational speaker none his no I don't think man like I I, I don't admire them as motivational speakers I know someone who's a motivational speaker and I really admire them as a person yes as a really nice all-around good dude but not motivational speaking as a profession mm. here's what I think about motivational speakers I think the fact that you mentioned the human side of things i think it's it's great that there are humans as well yeah. like they've they've definitely been through shit mm. right uh, as as have we they've definitely gone through things they didn't want to they've definitely done things that they are not proud of mm-hmm. they worked jobs that they hated mm-hmm. right and i understand 
where they're coming from when they're trying to make someone motivated, mm -hmm. right? I use that in quotes. Or when they're trying to energize someone, trying to make, you know, telling them, wake up at 5, 5 a.m., mm -hmm. meditate, read a book, this and that. I see where they're coming from. Uh, I have a huge problem with that being a business, though. Because even I've been on stage and I've tried to maybe spoken to students, right, and told them, okay, maybe this isn't what you should be doing because I did that and I struggled and, you know, um, X, Y, and Z, Z didn't work out for me. That, in a way, is motivational speaking. Yeah. I have a huge problem with that being a business yeah. and that gathering thousands and thousands and thousands of people uh -huh. and for them to hear the things that I think you, you point this out very clearly as well uh, multiple times in the past, for them to hear things that they want to hear yeah right so they're they're, they're being told things that mm -hmm. they 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 want to hear yeah. and that energizes them yeah. and they think they're being motivated and there's no discipline yeah. there's no hard work yeah. like there's no work even yeah. and people cashing off on that yeah. like making millions of dollars mm -hmm. i think that's it doesn't really jive with me that well i don't have a problem with it being a business because when i look at something that's a business i think that the people are voluntarily throwing their money at them right it's it's uh, no one's forcing anyone to go to a motivational speaking uh, conclave or anything like that. They were able to crack a code. These motivational speakers they're smart and they 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 were able to crack a code that this is what the market needs and I'm good at it. I'm good at going up on stage and saying these words in a certain order and people would really enjoy. It is just like music or comedy, but. But the part where the audience feels as though they are getting something out of it under the pretext that their life will change. They don't expect that, probably. Like, if they are getting paid, if people are paying them, it's all good, man. Everything's happening voluntarily. Everyone's agreed on a certain thing. And they've showed up and they've watched this person speak. I just have a problem with the audience feeling like it's going to change their life. Are you, are you following me? Yeah, I see what, you, uh, what you're saying. But you're just trying to tell the audience, yeah, don't get trapped. But there's someone on stage saying that your life will change and charging you 10,000 rupees for it. Don't you think that's a bit... I don't think... They're very smart. They don't claim... Yeah. <laughs> they don't claim... <laughs> they tell you if you do these things, yes. your life will change. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, those are just reminders motivations being just reminders of all the cliche things that you should do mm. so don't go to a motivational seminar you don't need them like you don't need them uh you don't need to pay pay for what they're saying it's all out there man it's for free yeah especially you don't need YouTube. that self-help book you don't need what i'm trying to tell you is you don't need them mm. don't get trapped but whatever they're doing it's wonderful for them yeah it's good for them they've they've um what's the word they've broken the matrix Right, they've they've, <laughs> broken the they've unlocked the matrix or something like that. They fucked the matrix and their butt. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but I have noticed a lot of uh, like there, there aren't a lot of motivational speakers anymore. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Maybe it's because of my YouTube algorithm that doesn't show yeah. uh, any motivational speakers. Yeah. But there aren't a lot. It's a great time to be alive, then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> more more comedians, less motivational speakers. More musicians now. There was a point where there were. So stand-up comedy once like just blew up, and uh, these restaurants that would pay like a cover band yeah. to perform, they started like they started uh, they started like removing cover bands from their from their sets, and like they started hiring comics to do 
what cover bands were doing. So if there was like a cover band, so you have gone around Kathmandu. You see, there's a lot of live live music scene around in a lot of restaurants. Yeah, and uh, a lot of these restaurants used to have cover bands, or just like bands that played yeah. original music. So there's a bass player, there's a guitarist, there's a singer, and there's a drummer, and then all of them uh, combined would get paid like ten thousand to play songs for an hour or something. Mm. Now that all changed, and then there's one guy who's doing a set for ten minutes and getting ten thousand. And if you compare that with like the five piece that was doing that before, and the drummer had to like bring his thing in a truck, his kit, he had to pay that guy as well. So there are there is there is a bass player, yeah. there's a guitarist involved, there's a singer involved, uh, there's someone playing key, yeah. and then there's a drummer, and then there's a drummer's driver, <laughs> <laughs> who's having to like yeah. divide that. That bit between mm. all of them, but now it's coming back. I'm really happy to see like there's a lot of good bands and good music coming out. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised because I was away for six years, right? Um, I was kind of not in touch with the Nepali music industry. Mm-hmm. I come back and now there's bands like The Elements. Yeah, yeah. Holy Stuff. shit, man! The kind of music they make yeah. and uh, do you know the Phosphines? Of course. Green. Uh, man, their music is um, is just next level. I think it's it's a bit derogatory to say they're very non-Nepali-like, uh-huh. uh, but their music is 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 international. Like mm-hmm. it's um, cigarettes of uh, cigarettes after sex. Yeah, it's like that. I'm sure they don't like being compared like that. But yeah, uh, I think they found like they, because because uh, they are the musicians of today, and they have the same influences as other people listening to music like if you're listening to cigarettes after sex they also have those same influences and mm-hmm. they like the same kind yeah. of music and they have the talent to produce the same kind of music and mm-hmm. it's great that's what i, I think. think yeah but but i think the, their music is is very their music at least very closely yeah. resembles that yeah. you know that that feel that you that the mood that you get and it's not necessarily a bad thing to be yeah um feel to be like someone yeah um someone that's really good uh-huh. but no I, I agree the, the music industry uh, in Nepal oh my goodness and and some videos that you see on YouTube like music videos millions and millions of views now when did this happen? I have no idea but it happened and uh, I think it just it, it, it just came out of nowhere for me as well because I wasn't following it yeah you know I wasn't following it actively I just saw it because I remember stand-up being a thing and now I see like stand-up not being such a thing mm. and like music being a thing again. Mm. Like I could not imagine like, so just imagine the bands that were, that that stand-up comedy was putting away from small restaurants. Uh, they were doing live gigs. Now they can sell out a big club like Elodie. These bands. Wow. So if you, I, I these bands, these musicians, they can like, they can sell out uh, 3,000 people venue which is good I think which is good they have which is their own struggles and they've been at it for a while is it is it mostly like that in Kathmandu or other cities as well other cities as well because I, I know Pokhara is big other cities as well yeah, yeah. I know Pokhara is big with live music and cover bands performing yeah. there but no, it, it's a great path forward yeah. right and I, I love the fact that musicians can at least now make a living because that's that's a huge one for me yeah. uh, at least you know if you're doing something that you mm-hmm. love something so creative and producing something out of nothing yeah. get paid for it yeah and uh it, it's i think it's so important that uh 
the music yeah the music in nepal uh, is um is next level it's always like a, a great thing when you see art blow up it's a great thing when you see art blow up because at the end of the day no matter what you do what i do we uh we will resort to art so if let's say you you go out and eat at a restaurant you do that because there's a chef who put together the the plate for you it's it's artistic in some nature food is art and then music is art and comedy is art so when we make uh, money and then we spend it on art eventually we all spend it on art we when we are having a good time it's all uh, it's all the the whole the whole thing mm. is art driven especially if you remember during lockdown we were all watching videos on netflix the whole world had stopped and now they had resorted to watching movies mm. and tv shows because they're a work of art i love that yeah no no, no. <laughs> i was just soaking it in so i i love that yeah when when we have nothing we resort to art yeah when we have nothing we resort to art and whatever we do if we go on a trek we look at mountains and they're all a work of art right yeah so everything that we're doing in life at the end of the day we just we just want to soak in the art yeah maybe that's what cave paintings are you know what i mean you're in a cave somewhere yeah. you've got nothing to do there's there's a war happening outside you go outside the cheetah is going to eat you alive yeah and then you start painting probably that's how it happened yeah and you know the fact that uh, there's an age old saying if you love doing something mm-hmm. then it doesn't feel like you're working i yeah. feel like that's so true it is uh, and you can see when people are doing things they're they're maybe singing on stage mm-hmm. painting and even making a podcast or something like that not sure how much money they're making on mm-hmm. it right but you can see the love in their eyes yeah. and you don't see that love in a lot of things that you do in life you don't see that love um when you see someone working in a bank no offense right yeah. but then when you see something someone painting yeah in a beach with a hat on yeah right smoking a cigarette or something like that yeah. it's it just feels surreal and you you can you, you can feel that the person's loving it i i feel the same with pranksters okay. you know because it's uh I feel like pranking, uh, pranking the, the entire pranking mm-hmm. thing on YouTube. It's it's an extremely difficult thing mm-hmm. to do, but people put it off. Mm-hmm. And I know this channel called Nelk N E L K. They're they're huge now. They never made any money off YouTube because YouTube doesn't like what they do. But then they kept doing it for years and years and years. For I think for seven years they pranked people without making any money off YouTube. But then now they're huge, and I see that love in just something that comes from mm-hmm. the mind. something that comes from producing something yeah. so i i'm sure like these people who made no money doing prank pranking people for years and years they also had like a deal job that was supporting them doing so they could do this mm. so the person on the beach just painting that you talked about earlier they probably have a job at bank mm. that they don't like so much but that gets them to do what they like doing and uh, like i said earlier the reward has to be the experience thing not everyone is lucky enough to have like a a their full time job which is like the reward itself in itself mm. the experience imagine having that uh, loving your full time job like that's the passion of your life this is the term right ikigai yeah something like that yeah japanese coach <laughs> 
I'm sure it makes a lot of sense, but just because it's so mainstream, I just have that no, he does. 16 year old cynical self yeah. who wants to hate it. No, but I feel like it does make a lot of sense. There's a, there's a, it does, it, there's a, gra- like a Venn diagram. Yeah, it. And it just make, it technically makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Mm. The things that you're good at, the things you can get paid for. Yeah. What the world needs. Mm. So and so. But do you enjoy what you do there? Very honest question. Do you have parts of it? Mm. Do you have bad days? Do you have good days? I don't look at it as something. Uh, I do look at it as something that I'm good at. Yeah. And I need to be doing that to be able to do things that I want to do. Because if you think about it, you just can't do things that you want to do. If you if you if you think about the beginning of civilization, people who had to hunt for food. They could get food. They had to hunt for it, right? So I look at being able to do comedy. I would have to work for it. And and I would have to have this job so I can do comedy. Yeah. So if you, wa- if you want to get from point A to point B, you have to do the work from getting from point A to point B. And f- the best bet that I have to get to point B is to do what I'm good at. Because if I start doing... Uh, something that I just love but I'm not good at, it would be like punching the wall and nine out of ten times the wall would win. Yeah. So why not, if you are so driven to make a living out of what you love, then you have to become badass at what you love doing. You have to also be really good at what you love doing. So just because you love playing music doesn't mean people will pay you. Yeah. You need to become so good at it that people will throw their money at you. And how do you do that? You don't make a stupid decision saying, okay, I'm going to leave everything today and I'm going to start making music. Maybe you keep everything you have today and everything that you're good at to learn the caveats and the the the, the processes to become really good at what you love to do and maybe then you can move from there. Mm. But isn't distraction a big thing there? Because at least in 2023 right now, I feel like if you're working for somebody, like if you're working a nine to five job or even doing a business, it's uh, it takes a lot out of you. Yeah, there's always things changing. There's always people to please. Mm-hmm. There's always things to do, like operation manuals to follow, yeah. right? And um, I just feel like it's it's too much because now countries are going into full four day work weeks, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, and some really progressive countries are going into that yeah. because people have started realizing that working is it's draining like it, yeah. the burnout is yeah. real and i've seen a lot of people um when i was especially in my when i was in australia uh they say it's a prosperous prosperous country it is but there's also a lot of people who work really hard for it burnout is real it's real. and i think if you want to focus on your creative prowess mm-hmm. also doing your day job um it's uh, it's an incredibly dis- difficult task it is, it is very difficult and like it's not fair it's unfair. Mm. But nobody ever said that it's going to be fair. It's not the same for everybody and sort of need to accept it, I guess. I think that's how I look at it because there's nothing you can do about it. You don't have much control over it, so you just have to accept it. Mm. That's how I look at it. It's it hard. Yeah. I, I really wish that I could do the things that I love doing if I had all the time. Yeah. And by time I mean if you had all the resources to buy that time Mm. 
So you need mm. to be able to buy that time for you. And if you don't have it, then it's unfair and it sucks, but it's true. Maybe that's what success is, right? If you can yeah. navigate through what you just yeah. said, like all these hurdles and yeah. uh, your job and trying to make time. I'm not saying people should. I'm not saying they sh should have to do that. I wish it was easier for everybody. Mm. I really do. Because it really takes a lot out of you. It feels sad that you're not being able to do that you can sort of do as second nature, you know. You yeah. can just do because you like doing it and you're good at it as well. Mm. But if it doesn't pay off, you have like something else going on. I think yeah. if you look at a lot of successful people, not because they had like, they were born into big fortune. They also had like very um, a difficult life before they blew up. Because if they if they hadn't been alive to blow up, they would not blow up, which, you know, <laughs> they had to have... Like Science 101. <laughs> they had to have like a shitty... They had to have like a shitty job. Yeah, yeah. And no one talks about that. Mm. And I guess it's also the fact that, you know, you have, you have to have a shitty job to realize what you're missing out on what or what could what your life could be. Yeah. I wish... It doesn't. It, I wish it didn't work that way. Mm -hmm. I really do. Yeah, same. And I, I also th feel like it's, it's very abnormal or unnatural for our life to revolve so much around the things that we don't love doing. You, you know what I mean? Like it's, it, it just feels mm -hmm. a bit sad mm -hmm. that you you're having to work so hard. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess at times I feel very lucky that mm -hmm. I'm, you know, that I can kind of do the things that I love doing. Uh, both ways like the podcast and what I'm doing outside of the podcast yeah. as well but I think um, living in Australia really changed my perspect perspective on how people burn burn out so easily and there's this guy I knew he's he's 24 right now mm -hmm. and uh, he lives with his mum and he's just got his mum that's it he takes care of the entire household uh, he lives in Sydney and um, super creative super delightful to have sit down and have a conversation with but he's just done too much uh, by the age of 24 that he kind of, like the, there's, there's this element of him that just speaks that he's burnt out. And he, he talks about it openly. Yeah. And um, he's become super um, you know, motivational as well that way. Like he's super likable guy because he's, he just openly talks about work and how much it affects people. Mm -hmm. And he might even now get into a psychology degree mm -hmm. because of, you know, what he's been through all of his life. His mum is now finally better. Mm -hmm. But, um, but no, his, his life was, was a bit, mm -hmm. it was a bit tough to kind of even look at and describe because he was handling so many other things. And I just feel like if he didn't have that, if he, yeah. he, he kind of had, had a freer mind when he was free, or when he was younger, uh, his life would have been completely different. But I guess it, it all works out. Like he, he's going to do the psychology degree yeah. and, Maybe you're just gonna do better from there on. I look at life as uh, I, I I sometimes I I really enjoy. I'm not like the fittest person to be on tracks, but if there an opportunity pops up, I'm like okay, I'm coming, and I'll just like wind through the whole thing, but I'll finish it, and at the end of it, I'll feel great. Mm. But also like throughout the whole thing, I'll feel great in moments, I'll feel bad in moments, and yeah. uh, to me, I was. I was one one day I was just sitting back and reflecting on it and I thought that to me life itself is like a, a trek is like a smaller representation of what life is and uh, so you're trying to get to 
the 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 last day of your trek right to the yeah. peak that you're trying to get to and in life there are metaphorical peaks like you think that you'll get to that peak and then you go on another trek so the trek never ends for your life but for the trek that you're on like a physical trek uh there are parts where you have to be intensely intensive the intensity is high you have to be walking fast and like getting up faster and there are parts where you slow down and then you enjoy the view and uh, you also make friends along the way and you sometimes sprain your ankle and then you wait and you heal and then you walk back up and you just keep walking and if you fall off a cliff you die so it's like for me a trek is like a very accurate representation of life where you you know what you want that's that what you want is the peak and when you get there you'll want something else so you'll go on another trek it's it's never going to end and then you have people around you so if you look at someone who's already at the fifth fucking peak you know there are people that you see who oh, that guy's there but you're on your own journey and then there's some guy behind you and there are things that you can't do on your own so you get a porter to help you out mm-hmm. and uh, you get like other people to help you out so it all just falls in place so every time i have a confusion i try to i try to uh, i to al- i start aligning the pieces of my confusion with how tracks work wow i've never seen the side of you yeah no that's what she says think so much man that's 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 very simply put as well yeah. and it's it's exactly what it is you you've laid it out perfectly yeah but do you think that sometimes you know having life laid out that simply uh-huh. also is a recipe for it's the case of expectations versus reality because sometimes because i feel like uh, i i try to simplify life i try to compartmentalize at least um and uh just to reiterate that what that means is try not to mix things if i if i just had a bad call i try to not mix that and the the, the mood of that to this podcast i try to separate things and when i try to simplify things you know it's just it, it becomes extremely difficult and uh, and hard to handle yeah do you ever feel like that as well like you you know what you want you know life is simple if you put it that way yeah. but it's just so difficult to do sometimes yeah. how do you handle that there's there's no way to not handle it that if you don't handle it then it's over man that's how that's how it goes if you don't handle it then you can quit and then you can go live somewhere where you won't have to handle anything i if you don't want what you want then you won't have to handle it if you don't want if you don't have big aspirations if you just want your needs met then you'll have less problems if you want something else you'll have more problems mm. and uh, i i agree with you 100% that we when we talk we oversimplify things but when we like walk out and we going about our day the little details they won't really spare you right yeah it's not a matter of you sparing something or not these things they won't spare you mm. you have to attend to them you have to you have to do what you have to do and you have to do what you have to do because that's the only way you'll get where you want to be yeah. you'll only you'll have what you want to have so there's no option man i i wish i didn't have to handle it yeah i wish it was easier it's sad but it's not i think that should be the title of this podcast and my sex tape 
It's sad but true. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Uh, I think I've seen a side of you that I didn't think existed, and um, at times like these, I I think to myself, I tell myself, this is why I'm friends with this person. Oh man, thanks. It's been a it's pleasure, been, bro. It's been a pleasure for me as well. Like, yeah. um, I honestly don't know why you would have someone like me on a podcast. Was it fun? It was really fun. It was great. I would probably, um, because it did feel raw, like you said earlier. It's it's very raw, and I could just tell you whatever I wanted to tell you. It sucks that it's it's on camera, and now you have all of it. You have all of it. <laughs> it's the, the 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 whole thing that you have it, that sucks. That is going to go on you. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable, but that you don't have a lot of viewers, so it's okay. Got <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, I've got nine viewers, nine or ten. But so. my, thank you. Like I don't, I don't know why you'd have me. I still don't know why you'd have me on here to talk to you. Can I tell you why? I, I can give you points. Firstly, I think you're lethally funny, and not just because you're funny that I want you on the podcast. I just think it's an art. It's a craft. And it's uh, an incredibly difficult task to be funny. And you, you can do that. You can nail it. Second, I just feel like you've got so much in you that that people don't see. But you've got so much to offer. So much to put a lay out there. Which you have, I think, today. And third, I just feel like you're a great friend. Thanks, man. I think you're a great friend too. I was so... When you were back, I was like over the moon, man. Like Shail's back, Shail's back. I was telling other people about you. Mm-hmm. You know, my friend Shail's coming back. Let's get dinner. <laughs> yeah.